This January, over 750 OA members gathered in Los Angeles for OA's 50th birthday party. Events included keynote speakers, multiple long-timer panels, workshops, a big book boot camp, and even an appearance by Roseanne S. If you'd like CDs or MP3s of any or all of these sessions, go to oa50th.org and then follow the link to the recordings. That's oa50th, oa50th.org. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Mickey. Hi, good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is Mickey. I am a compulsive overeater. Hi, Mickey. i got to tell you, it feels really bizarre being up here, being the speaker. I'm used to, like, doing, doing other things of service uh, at this meeting. And this is my home group. And you guys are my little homies there for so that's also very nice. I want to say to everyone, Happy New Year, everybody. I really want to wish this for you. I want to thank Leslie for asking me to speak tonight, and it's an honor to do service. It's an honor to speak at an OA meeting. And I am a compulsive overeater from the get-go. You know, and before I start, I just want to thank God and ask God that whatever I say may be of some use. And if it's not of any use, try another meeting. You know, it's all fine, too. Just to get kind of the numbers out of the way, I have been abstinent now for a little over seven years and nine months, and currently somewhere between an 85 to a 90 pound weight loss at this point. And, um, and you know, what I wanted to actually start off with today was actually tell a couple little stories that kind of make me happy today and sort of speak to me of recovery in my life. First one is yesterday, New Year's Day, and I went out for a run. And that is an absolute miracle to me today, that I can go and I can run. And I ran for an hour, and that, that part of it is not the bit I want to talk about. But what came to me again yesterday was kind of like the idea of really getting out of self, getting out of my selfish self. And so I just, as I was going on the run, I just started wishing people Happy New Year, you know. And it was amazing, the ones that kind of said to me, Happy New Year, bro, back to me. Or the other ones that kind of looked at me like I was kind of a header, you know. And that was fine. I didn't mind. But you know what? It just made me happy because it was like out of self, out of self. It just made me get out of self. And then today, you know, I had another happy thing uh, my wife called me and my wife was outside and she'd been in the car and she was putting some trash in the, in the big dumpster and she accidentally dropped the car keys. So I went, oh, okay, sweetie, I'll be right down. <laughs> so next second I know I am in the dumpster looking for the keys. Now, you know, like most people I think would be kind of miserable, but I was ecstatic. I mean, I was really happy because it was like I can be of service here. And I was like, oh, my God, it's the first time I've been in the dumpster for years. It's and it's like, I'm happy about being in the bloody dumpster. And now I've got the health 
you know, to jump in and jump out again. It was really nice, you know. So I was like going upstairs and singing about I'm a little dumpster demon, and all, you know. And so what I want to say is that um, Overeaters Anonymous has really, you know, in my life has brought me really a lot of happiness and a lot of joy, you know, because we are not a glum lot. We are not a glum lot. So, you know, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Well, I basically do have a little accent thing going on, so obviously I'm not from Brentwood originally. <laughs> I was born in Northern Ireland and uh, left there when I was 20. But I remember pretty much being, a, as a little boy, being, you know, a compulsive overeater fairly early on. And I remember my mommy making me, making us bread. Although the way I behaved around it, you'd thought it was only for me and not for my siblings. I just basically went at this. And I knew that my parents loved me, and I knew that they loved us. But I had this kind of deal with food right from the get-go. Although I was taught certain other kind of messages that were more subtle. And in my family, you didn't rebel, you didn't buck the system, you didn't make changes. Your life is is meant to go on a predetermined route. You're not supposed to make changes. You're really a very small, infinitesimal thing. And you just have to accept big authority, and that's it. That's the whole deal. You know, there's really nothing else. And really, a lot of, I think, what I was doing with food was really my sort of irrational defiance, if you will, of authority. While on the surface, appearing to acquiesce to that same authority. I mean, it was completely irrational. And so, of course, you know, as, as uh, many little boys and little girls are who are overweight, you know, of course, like all of you guys, I was weighed in the class, and I was like, I think it was the top one or two heaviest little boy in the class. So I was rarely picked for sports, or if they really had to pick teams, I was always the last one or two picked, uh, you know, for the sports. And, you know, that was just how that went. If we go forward now to today, one of the really, one of the beautiful little blessings that OA has given me in my life is I now really love exercise. I don't do it as like to be a boast, but it's actually a spiritual thing for me now. If I'm out and if I'm walking or I'm running or if I'm doing my favorite thing, which is lifting the weights, to me it is a contact. The tactility of it all is a contact with my higher power today. So it's a very beautiful thing. That's why most of the time I don't do it with headphones or anything. I want to be in, in the, I want to be alive. I want to be now. I want to, I want to be real. So my parents sent me to high school. My parents sent me to boarding school. And they had a specific vision in mind for me. And, and I tried to rebel, but that wasn't going anywhere. So I went to boarding school. I thoroughly was miserable the whole time. And so my biggest friend in boarding school was food. And I turned to that in high school. And basically, you know, it was a way for me to numb out. And the asset in the defect, as Al-Anon talks about, or as, sorry, I should say, as another program talks about, <laughs> I go making mistakes, the asset hidden in the defect of compulsive overeating is that it makes me safe. I am not going to engage in violence 
bear in mind, I'm in Northern Ireland. There's bombs going on, all that sort of stuff. You know, half the little guys I went to school with were talking about the IRA and all that sort of stuff. And here I am. I'm kind of in the background. I don't care about that. I, all I care about is where's the next food coming from? Where's the bonbons? Where's the bread? Where's the cookies? That's all I care about. I don't care about sports. I don't, you know, because I've been told I'm no good at it. And that was my little world. And so really for me, when I think about my high school, it's kind of blurry. It's kind of blurry. I don't really remember a lot. I do remember being thoroughly unhappy there. And uh, I admire people that loved high school and college. It was thoroughly miserable for me. And the happiest day was when I left either one of those bloody places, really, to tell you the truth. Um, I am going to try and watch my lingo tonight, let me tell you that. I'll do my best, which is at times a challenge. But anyway, so, and then, you know, I also learned other little coping mechanisms. I learned that really, you know, uh, I wanted to comply, but I never really wanted to work in college. When I went to college, I never really wanted to work for that. And it wasn't that I was partying. Oh, no, no, I never was in the end crowd. I just would be with the binge crowd, which was me. I was the binge crowd because I never liked to binge in public, you know, and that's what I wanted to do. And uh, so I did that. And so in order to get through college, I became a cheat. I became a liar and a cheat, a very nice liar and a very nice little cheat. But I was a cheat, and I cheated on as many college exams as I absolutely could. I had all kinds of stuff shoved up my sleeves, up my elbows, whatever I had to do. If the pass mark was 40, I was going for 40 or 41. And if I made it to 41, it was a good day and we're going on a bench. And round about the time I turned 18, I learned about alcohol. The irony of this was not lost on me, you know, because my parents were kind of like traditional Irish people, and, and, and they were, and they'd tell me, you know, you know, they'd say to me, now, now, you know, son, you know, somebody will want to tell you now that there's terrible curses in Ireland, and the biggest curse in Ireland is the curse of the drink, son. It's been the ruination of the country. I can do the accent, you know, what I really get going. You know? So I was like, oh, okay, you know, right, whatever. So as soon as I turned 18, I was, I gotta try this. And I found out that this really, along with the binge, really just livened up the whole world. <laughs> you know, that really, I could go to a binge and I could like mellow down and, and I could go into a kind of a coma that way. But then, if I got into alcohol, then it could be the life of the party. And it was like, wow. It was like, what a blast, you know. So I went on this. There is, of course, the other side of this. There is the other side of this, which was that the next morning I would have to deal with myself. I would have to then go to the next morning and I would have to deal with the shame and the guilt and the remorse and all those other things, you know, cheating on my exams, lying, thieving, uh, and everything. And uh, basically just keep going on. So then uh, I did a geographic to come here. That basically was a geographic. Fortunately, I stayed. Fortunately, for whatever happened, as soon as I got here, I liked it right away. I knew that this, this, was, this was where I needed to be. So I, I've been in L.A. for 30 years, and I've stayed in L.A., and, and I hope I you know, get to remain in L.A. But. So basically, I kind of went on my, how shall we say, unhappy, unmarried little way.
and uh, <laughs> and kind of did you know what my parents had told me to do to acquiesce to authority to remember you know I'm in just this pathetic little speck of crap on the earth and and yet I was filled with guilt and I thought it was the piece of crap around which the world revolved and it was this really crazy little merry-go-round and so then somebody told me because I, at that point in mid-80s I was you know about 260 or so maybe a little bit more and somebody told me about Overeaters Anonymous so I came to the rooms in the late 80s and I met a, a person who was willing to be my sponsor I actually asked them and they said yes and that person was my sponsor and then I got to step four and I did step four and I decided at that point that you know really this process is kind of painful you know I decided that now I didn't ask you know I didn't speak with the sponsor you know is this process painful you know what should I expect or how am I doing no 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 I made a decision this is my decision is this painful and I really don't like this at the same time, my sponsor left the rooms. Now, you know, you would kind of think, okay, what's the logical thing to do? The logical thing would be, okay, well, you know, maybe we want to find somebody else to work with, right? So, no, I never thought about that at all. My thought was, thank God, that's enough of that bloody carry-on. And, uh, <laughs> and so then, I no longer had a sponsor, and I was coming to the meetings in the late 80s, and I was basically auditing the class. And really, you know, when I come in and sort of breeze in and audit the class and sit in and listen to you talk, and it's not very entertaining, bunch of headers, and, you know, and then leave, you know, immediately and not want to talk to you and, you know, not work anything, then I get what I deserve, which is nothing. And I got nothing. And uh, I was kind of crazy, too. Um, and then what happened was then finally I really went out on a binge. And the binge happened, of all places, on an airline uh, coming back from Europe. You know, and I, I mean, I kind of like to say this to some of the lads that I work with now these days. I like to say, you know, lads, you know, if you're really going to go out, you know, if you really decide this is too much and you want to go out, please make it a good binge. Really. You know, if you decide you want to go out and have a binge, for God's sakes, let's make it a good one, lads. You know, and not crappy airline food, because it's really, really pathetic. But that was enough to get me off and running. And I was out there at this point. I was not in the rooms, and I was not doing anything. And this really led to my, uh, <laughs> my dark period, as I would call it. And this was a very, very dark time. This was the darkest time in my life. And really what, what, this, what this looked like was, well, it was really all about the head, you know, because in, in my disease, my head functions like a steel trap, and it will not let me alone. And I am in the selfish self, and I am completely self-obsessed. There is nothing else. I don't care about you, no interest in you. It is all about me and what's going on for the next fix and how I can resolve my problems. Then I believe I cannot resolve my problems. I don't believe there is a God. God cannot resolve my problems. There is no way out except I'm going to die, I'm going to top myself, or whatever it is I have to do. So I do remember uh, renting a car in another state at one point and driving. Driving kind of, I could see a storm coming up, up ahead. And... Uh, 
And at this point, I was obsessing about just taking myself out because I, my head would not let me alone. And I saw this storm coming up ahead, and I just decided, instead of slowing down, I was going to go right into it. I was going to accelerate into it. And I did. I went right into it. I remember going into it at about 85. But I mucked up because the car was a Volvo, and they're really supposed to be safe, right? <laughs> and I came out of it the other side. You know, none the worse for the wear. And I, I finally then, and I finally then went to a beach, and I said, God, you know, if you really exist, I'll do whatever you want. You know, I don't know if you exist. I don't know. I'm at a loss. I'll do whatever you say. Turns out that was a really good thing to do. Um, because I met my sponsor outside the rooms. And that, if you will, was my God shot. I could never then deny after that that the higher power was not in existence because I met him totally outside the rooms. It was like one of those things that was like, you know, so freaky and yet you know it's not. And I met him and I saw him with his keys and I saw, you know, like the AA logo and I remembered it from my brief days and I said to him, are you in the program? And he goes, yeah. And I go, does that stuff work? And, you know, I kind of unleashed a little time bomb then when I said that to him. Because then he started talking to me. And uh, he scared the living daylights out of me. But he talked to me in a way that I'd never heard before. And I knew that I needed to get this. I knew that I needed to, to do this. So then I asked him to be my sponsor. And this was in AA. And so, you know, they don't muck around over there, you know. And uh, so he grabs me by my shirt, you know, and grabs me by my shirt and he goes, what the hell are you prepared to do? And literally said that to me a few times. What the hell are you prepared to do about this? And I was, God, I was terrified. And uh, I said, whatever you want, you know, whatever you want. And he went, that's the right answer. Well done. And he said, now you're going to call me tomorrow, my lad. And, uh, you know, and so, you know, I have 17 years in that deal. And what that did was that that stopped that crazy suicidal stuff. And it stopped the drinking. Oh, and there was this marijuana deal as well I was doing, I suppose I should say. And that ended as well um, at that time. And it stopped the suicidal thing. And I I really, the reason I want to say that is, the reason I want to identify in the other program was that I'm kind of a slow study. I really, you know, I'm not, I mean, I admire people who come into the rooms and they can resolve it all right away and they do all the programs right away and they get it. Oh my God, like I admire you guys. I'm not that kind of guy. Uh, You know, couldn't do it. And he really had to take his time with me. But yet I kept doing whatever he said. And I didn't learn easy. And I had all of this hang-ups on God and religion and all of this stuff. And... You know, and it's really, I was just thinking about this recently, about, you know, the big book, how, you know, like, how they talk about having this thing, you know, having the concept of the higher power, like, really being smashed into me, you know, like, not this, like, nice, easy little thing, you know, well, you might like this, no, really, you know, and he really kind of had to smash it into me, but at the end of it, I got it, and, um, (laughs) so it was what I needed, you know, 
And so he kind of started in a pretty intense way with me, and then he became much more loving. He became much more loving. And uh, I love that man, you know. I, sorry, I don't know why I'm getting emotional, but you see, that man saved my life. Um, and uh, that man is still my sponsor. He was at my wedding. Uh, he's like a brother to me. And so it was very, very beautiful, you know. But, you know, I was still in the food. I still had food on occasions. I'd go to my AA meetings every single day. Uh, and I worked the steps with him. And I loved the program and everything like that. But there was such denial over, over food. There was such denial over it. And finally what happened was, you know, I got another God shot again. I mean, I don't know how lucky I can get in this deal. Um, you know, but I'm like a really lucky guy. Because I met this other guy, you know, at an AA party. And this guy, you know, and I just kind of gravitated to this guy. And uh, I'd never met him before. And I'm not, wasn't the type to go up to people and start talking to them. But this guy had something about him. And then he told me that he was wearing a jacket that he'd bought years ago when he was, you know, he had, was much slimmer and, and he hadn't been able to wear it for a long time. And now he was wearing it. And I said, well, how did you do it? How did you do it? And he wouldn't tell me. I said, no, 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 you've got to tell me. How did you do it? How did you do it? And he told me it was OA. You know, so it was pretty kind of scary for me. And there was still a lot of resistance. There was still a lot of resistance on my part. He then wanted to be my sponsor. And, uh, you know, I told him initially, I, I, I told him, oh, you know, I have this special relationship with my AA sponsor. He's a blather. You know what I mean? Just nonsense. You know, finally I went to a party. And I did something that I had never done before, which was binge in public. Never binged in public before. I'm, I don't know about you guys, but like, I am all about the secret little binge. It's all got to be secret. It's my own little world. So, you know, I'm going to the store, I'm going to the market, I'm going to the fast food. I've got it in the car, I've got it, I'm going to take it home. And then I'm going to close the door, lock the door, shut the blinds, turn on the telly, and away we go. And then I'm going to go for about an hour, then I'm going to stop, then I'm going to kind of conk out for a bit, then I'm going to wake up again, and then we're going to go again for another hour, then I'm going to conk out again, then I'm going to wake up again. I go at it again for another little hour, like a little rat in the merry-go-round, off and on. Then the next morning, I know I'm going to deal with the demoralization, and yet I know on the same token I'm sober, so I'm kind of a winner there, but with the food, it's like I'm all crazy, I'm all out of control. Here we go again. So after I did that binge in public, I called him, and I said, please, I said, please, for God's sake, will you sponsor me, please? I'll do whatever you say. And he said, yes, of course I will. So then the next day I called my other sponsor in the AA program and said, uh, you know, I just want to tell you I've joined OA. So here I am thinking, oh, he was going to say, well, what are you doing or why are you doing this? So his response was, about bloody time, really. <laughs> no. He said, you know, I want to remind you, Nikki, of the time that you and I were getting together and we were working steps and... You appeared to be nervous and you were swallowing packets of sugar in front of me. Do you remember 
course. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're really doing the right thing here. I want you to really work that program, Mickey. And I think that would be absolutely wonderful for you. Well done, lad. So I was like, okay, got to work it now. And I want to tell you that when I came into OA, you see, I could, and I had AA arrogance too. Dear, oh, dearie me. Anyway, so that all that had to be beaten thoroughly, beaten into submission and all that sort of stuff. You know, that was just fine. So lots of, lots of humiliations and beating around and all that stuff. Just, and that's kind of wonderful for a guy like me. I really need a good kicking every once in a while, really. You know, it does mean the world good. And so, you know, so I came in and I absolutely did not believe I did not believe that I could be in any way relieved or helped of my compulsive overeating. No, because I could believe alcohol or the marijuana thing um, could be helped because those are nasty things. They're antisocial. They do dreadful things in public, very ungentlemanly things they do in public. And I behave in a way that was really not very nice. You know, I could say things that were really dreadful, not very nice things at all. Uh, so I could believe the higher power could believe me at that, but snacking, binging, going for a little scarfy time, please, really. So a lot of, you know, a lot of irrational thinking, really, obviously. But I did, could believe that it worked for him. I saw it could work for him. And that's all I had. I said, look, I don't bloody believe that this will work for me, but I believe it has worked for you. So that's why I'm going to do this. I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. And I was all freaked out at the beginning, too. Oh, are you going to put me in some diet deal? Are you going to put me in something? Because I said to him, I can't do diets. I failed at every diet. I couldn't even do fan-fan, for God's sakes. You know, I failed at that. I failed at every diet. He goes, yeah, you know, you know what you're going to do? He said, you're just going to relax, my friend. You're just going to relax. You're going to, we're going to, we're going to do our steps together. And I'm going to show you a way of working your program. And you're just going to relax and that's what you're going to do. We're going to work our program together. So, I'd been beaten into resistance at this point, and uh, so I said, I'd been beaten into surrender at this point, and I'd said, yeah, okay, fine, you know, whatever. And as it turned out that that was, that was really one of the best things I could do, to admit my absolute powerlessness and defeat, and the idea, really, that I may not believe that it works for me, but I believe it works for you. That was kind of, like, really nice, because that then put me into faith. Wow, shocking. I mean, so really, so simple, really. You know, that would put me into faith. Now I'm ready for the steps. Wow, what a concept. And so I just became willing to do whatever he said. And at the very, very beginning, when I was very new, he said, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to write down your food, whatever it is. And I want you to be honest with me. I just want you to be honest with me. And, and I said, well, are you going to tell me off? Or you? No, there's not going to be any of that. There's not going to be any of that. I just want you to be honest with me, and I want you to tell me. I just, we're, we're not going to have any secrets between us. We're, you're just going to be honest, and you're going to tell me, and there's going to be no recrimination here. There's going to be no punishment here. You will punish yourself far worse than I will ever go at you, he said. And it was really true. 
you know. So I just started writing it down and giving it to him. And that, even that of itself, I was shocked because it began to clean things up a little bit. And then he said, and now we're going to go to meetings together. And so I did. You know, I went to meetings with him. And uh, we went to meetings together. It was really very beautiful at this point. Because all of a sudden, you know, kind of like, you know, the lights came on again. And I started seeing things. I remember becoming abstinent. It was a very beautiful thing. Because I remember I began to notice colors again. I began to notice colors. And I began to notice, like, things about people. I began to notice, like, the clothing you were wearing. I, I kind of noticed if I thought, you look nice. If I thought, maybe if you were having a hard day, maybe I could say, hi, how are you doing? I began to see you, you know. I began to actually like you, you know. I actually kind of began to care about you. And this was really very, very, very shocking to me. And then I happened to be down, you know, I live in Pedro, and I was at, um, in one of my other programs, and uh, a lady I had met came in and said, hey, there's this meeting that just recently started up in Brentwood called Light a Candle. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I'd like to go to that. So I've been coming here for over six years. Um, and this is really my home group, and this is where it, where it started. And really... A lot of, first of all, what I want to say before I get into anything else is that I absolutely believe, you know, for me, I have to have a sponsor, you know, that I may be in another program, but I have, if I'm I'm a compulsive overreader, I have to come here, I have to work the steps for me. I have to have a sponsor here. I have to come here. I have to work the steps here. And I think that I've done the steps a bunch of times, a bunch of different ways, and they all work. They're all wonderful. You know, whatever way, I, whatever way we do it, I've gone through them fast, I've gone through them slow, I've gone through them lengthy inventories, short inventories, um, I've just gone through them another way again, a completely different way, and fine, very nice, wonderful, every time, cool, ten minutes, um, and, and every time it really adds more to my life. So what I want to say then today is that today I have a very nice life. And here's what I want to say. You know, I have, I have an abstinence. So for me, coming into Overeaters Anonymous, uh, you know, my, my abstinence is kind of like I don't compulsively overeat. Now I have a food plan, and in my food plan there are a number of things that are, you know, I'm just not safe to be around. And it's kind of weird with me, because now after this time, there's things that I cannot have by themselves, but if they're amongst other things, I can maybe have it a little bit. And I like to email my food, and I do that. And then the other thing I want to say is that uh, I, I love the spiritual piece. Because the whole thing to me is spiritual. I mean, I just don't know. I, I could not get this if, if I did not do this, this spiritual program. So in the morning, you know, I like to get up. I like to start my day. And I was reminded recently, again, about, you know, getting on my knees. Now I like doing that. And I like to start there on my knees, and then I'll say some prayers, and then I like to go into I like to go into meditation. I go into it right out for 20 minutes, and then I'll go and I'll read some literature, and then I go to work, and then the car, and then I try and keep some conscious contact, and I'll take calls on the way to work, and I make calls 
on the way to work with, with program people. And then, in my day, you know, the goal, which I remember initially hearing about this 17 years ago, it's funny how it kind of comes around again, is that the idea being for me that I have to try and learn to keep in conscious contact with the higher power because I have a selfish self and I have to get out of the selfish self um, because in the self I will binge. In the self I will obsess. In the self, you know, I'm not in recovery. I've got to get out of self and be with you. You know, be in the universe and, you know, try and live life. And most of the days, you know, I'm kind of a pretty happy guy, you know. I'm kind of like seen as a sort of an optimistic person at work. Who would have thought, you know? <laughs> Former cheater at exams, wow. You know, and I went uh, and did a graduate degree, and I never cheated once on a single exam, wow. You know, and I ended up with a nice GPA without cheating, wow, what a concept, you know. And I, and I did it through program. And program helped me with my parents' deaths. And in program, I was able to change my career. And I've been with the same people now for over 13 years. And I like my job. See, I like work today. I like my job. I like my life. And I think a lot of it also has been, you know, coming and listening and, and trying to be of service. And so to any newcomers, you know, I want to say what was said to me was, You know, keep an open mind. Keep an open mind. Stay. Please stay. Don't do what I did. Don't don't take off. Don't audit the class. Stay. Stay. Get a sponsor. Work it. It's beautiful. I've got to tell you, it's really beautiful. It will transform your life. It is beautiful. There is nothing else like this. We don't have to be out there in the disease. We don't have to do this anymore. We don't have to destroy ourselves anymore. We don't have to be alone anymore. We don't have to devastate ourselves with all of this. And, you know, and we get through our steps together. We, and we deal with our wounds. You know, we deal with this stuff. You know, so program is really beautiful. I don't know if I've got any time left, but, but thank you for letting me share. And if I've got any time left, we'll take a couple of questions. Thank you. Thank you. On top of your head, I imagine it kind of change on your day. But your 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 favorite gifts of recovery from you, you know working the steps. You could say I work these steps, and as a result of doing that, this is some of my, my most favorite gifts. Of what are my favorite gifts of recovery? Yeah. My favorite gifts of recovery are certainly getting out of self are having a relationship with my higher power, having a relationship with you. Curiously enough, it's not about food, really. Most of the time, it's not a problem. It's not perfect. You know, the other gifts of recovery are, I can feel today. I can feel your love. I can express my love to you. I can care about you today, you know, I can show up for life, I can, I can be in the world, you know, I don't need to cheat anymore, you know, I can, um, I can care about you, I can love you, you see. Um, it was kind of like, uh, you know, you know, it's kind of like we're taught, you know, we'll love you till you love yourself, you know, 
There's just so many gifts. I mean, even personal gifts like, you know, I talked earlier about, you know, I found out things that I really like to do. I would never have thought of being able to go back and get another degree, you know, and move ahead in my career. And I would never have thought I would have gotten into exercise at all. I would never have thought that, you know. I would never have thought that. Or, you know, um, and, and I think part of the other thing is to have finally have some kind of zest for life. You know, to have some kind of zest for life has been just a beautiful gift for me. Yeah. Could you tell us about your relationship with your higher power and maybe comparing contrast with young? Yeah, um, the question is about my relationship with my higher power from when I was young to how it is today. When I was young, I was taught it it was raised in a specific tradition and that's what I thought, that's what I knew. And basically... You know, my feeling about it was thoroughly irrational, that I thought that this is what you do, and that is it, and the the idea was the higher power was punishing. I found when I became abstinent that, um, and this is just me, that I found that for me, you know, where some people find that they they become, maybe they become religious or whatever, for me I became non-religious. But I am fascinated by spirituality. I am fascinated. So to me now, it doesn't matter what it is. I, I need a higher power in my life. I love the higher power. So for me, it's like whether I'm doing hot TM or whatever, it's all good. It's all good. I accept anything. It's all good. I just want to be in the flow. I want to be in the universe. I want to have the conscious contact. That's what works for me. You know, for other folks... It's they want to join a tradition, and that's beautiful for them. For me, it's basically that for now, it's like I need a higher power. I love it, and I continue to learn. And um, you know, and sometimes my higher power is a she, and sometimes it's a he, and it's all good either way for me. It's all beautiful to me. Um, you know, so yeah, it's great. My pro- the question is, what does my program look like on a daily basis? On a work basis, I normally, you know, because I commute to Santa Ana from Pedro, so I normally am up at about five. I hit the floor um, and uh, pretty much start the day because I was taught, you know, i got to start my day, you know, with the higher power. I like to do that now. I kind of get in the knees and I start there. And then I go into meditation. I do my literature. And then I go I go to work. And... Um, and then I try and keep the conscious contact as I go. So during my day, I'll try and like do little things, whether it's like, uh, you know, pull a thing at my wrist or put my watch on a different hand to check in with the higher power to try and keep it because I want to see if I can stay out of the selfish self. Sometimes I send emails to a few program friends. Um, and then I like to go to a bunch of meetings. I love meetings. Oh, my God, I love the rooms. And uh, any meeting is a good meeting. You know, for me, so I, I don't like just going to one meeting and that's it. No, I like go to a bunch of them. I, lo- I love a bunch of them. The more, the merrier. A good week is maybe four or five meetings. A great week is seven meetings. A wonderful week is ten. The more, the merrier. And, um, you know, and, and then I, you know, I, I'm also, I go home. I sponsor a bunch of guys. I'm married. So, you know, it's, Lots of stuff going on, and it's it's a lot of fun. So, thank you for letting me share.